You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. At the punishment of the prophets, it's a universal dynamic. And whatever there are people calling, not only for personal piety, but also for societal change, seeking to make our world a just, a safe, a compassionate home for everyone, those who have uh, much to lose This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 282 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us today in our work of love, compassion, taking action, and justice. Our title this week is Prophets and Priests, and our feature text is Matthew 23, 29 through 31. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. You t- So you testify against yourself that you you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Renewed Heart Ministries book of the month for April uh, this month is uh, Walter Rauschenbusch's 1917 classic, A Theology for the Social Gospel. And and although uh, Rauschenbusch writes in the the language and the the limits of his his own time and his own social location, uh, he and others in the early social gospel movement, they nonetheless they broke new ground by by calling Christians to return to the gospel's teachings on social change, on social justice, and, and social salvation. And their call, it contrasted with, with versions of Christianity that focused on a, a private, individualistic, or, or personal salvation. And many who've been raised in, in evangelical Christianity today still are, are surprised when they discover the, the gospel's focus on systemic injustice justice and 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 that this focus was uh, accurately labeled the social gospel not because it focused on on social salvation instead of personal salvation as as some have wrongly accused it but because it focused on social salvation alongside personal salvation 40 years after uh, a theology for the social gospel was published Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, which yesterday marked the anniversary of his assassination, he he read uh, Rauschenbusch and wrote, It's my conviction ever since reading Rauschenbusch that any religion which professes to be concerned about the souls of men and is not concerned about the social and economic conditions that scar the soul is spiritually moribund, is a spiritually moribund religion only waiting for the day to be buried. And that's in his book, Stride Toward Freedom, page 91. So this week, I want to look at a juxtaposition that Rauschenbusch uses in the end of a theology of the social gospel. And now I also want to give a few caveats. I admit freely 
that it's oversimplified in terms of what we know today. And I also find that Rauschenbusch's description of the function or the motivation of the ancient priestly uh, class in this paragraph, uh, I find that it misrepresents the, the priestly function and the Jewish faith tradition as a whole. I do believe that, that Rauschenbusch's description, it, it matches his own experience with institutionalized Christianity, as we're going to see, and and his experience with the professional clergy's pushback against his call for a, a more socially focused gospel. And I believe he's he, again he's reading his own experience back into the text. And and I too can I can attest that that it's difficult, if not impossible, to get pro, uh, some professional clergy to see things at times. That, that their paychecks require them not to see. And, and this can happen within any faith tradition when an institution and those that are employed by that institution become aligned with, with injustice and exploitation and or ex- exclusion. And yet this passage that we're going to look at from Rauschenbusch, I think it's still, even with its challenges, it still has much to offer us um, today, as we're seeking to also speak truth to, to power or to call out systemic injustice, despite pushback from those who benefit by what Rauschenbusch names as institutionalized sin, whether within our faith traditions or, or our, our, our larger secular communities. The, the juxtaposition that he uses is, is that of priest versus prophet in the Jewish faith tradition. And I found his, his comments under what he classifies as prophetic, uh, deeply encouraging, and and this week I want to uh, share them with you. Now this this is again this is a long section. I want to read it first, and then we're going to go back and we're going to talk about uh, different uh, comments or statements that he makes. This is from a theology for the social gospel, page two seventy four through roughly two seventy seven. He uh, Russian Bush writes. The priest is the religious professional. He performs religious functions which others are not allowed to perform. It is therefore to his interest to deny the right of free access to God and to interpose himself and his ceremonial between the common person and God. He has an interest in representing God as remote, liable to anger, jealous of his rights, quick to punish, because he gives importance to the ritual methods of placating God, which the priest alone can handle. It is essential to the priestly interest to establish a monopoly of rights and functions for his group. He is all for authority, and in some form or other, he is always a spokesman of that authority and shares its influence. Doctrine and history, as he teaches it, establish a jure divine institution of his order, which is transmitted either by physical descent or, as in the Aaronic priesthood, by spiritual descent through some form of exclusive ordination, as in the Catholic priesthood. As history invariably contradicts this claim, he frequently tampers with his Deuteronomic codes or pseudo-Isidorian decretals in order to secure precedence and the weight of antiquity. He's opposed to free historical investigation because this tears open the protective web of idealized history and doctrine 
which he has woven about him. He is in the he is the middle person of religion, and like other middlemen, he is sincerely convinced that he is necessary for the good of humanity and that religion would perish without him. But underneath all is the selfish interest of his class, which exploits religion. The prophet becomes a prophet by some personal experience with God, which henceforth is the dominant reality of his life. It creates inward convictions which become his message to men. Usually after great inward conflicts and the bursting of priest-made barriers, he has discovered a way of access to God and has found him wonderful, just, merciful, and free. As a result of his own experience, he usually becomes the constitutional enemy of priestly religion, the scorner of sacrificial and ritual doings, a voice of doubt about the doctrines and the literature which shelter the priest. He, too, is a middleman, but he wants no monopoly. His highest desire is to have all humans share what he has experienced. If his own caste or people claim special privileges as a divine, uh, divinely descended caste or chosen people, he is always for some expansion of religious rights, for a crossing of boundaries and a larger unity. His interest is in freedom, reality, immediateness, the reverse of the priestly interest. His religious experience often gives a profound quickening to his social consciousness, an unusual sense of the value of life and a strong compassion with the suffering and the weak, and therefore a keen feeling for human rights and an indignation against injustice. He has a religious conviction that God is against oppression and on the side of the weak. The prophet is always the predestined advanced agent of the kingdom of God. His uh, religion flings him, him as a fighter and protester against the kingdom of evil. His sense of justice, compassion, and solidarity sends him into tasks which would be too perilous for others. It connects him with the oppressed social classes as their leader. He bears the risk and contempt. He tries to rally the moral and religious forces of society. He encounters derelict and frozen religion and the selfish and conservative interest of the classes which exploit religion. He tries to arouse institutional religion from the inside, or he pounds it from the outside. This puts him in the position of a heretic, a freethinker, an enemy of religion, an atheist. Probably no prophet escaped without bearing such name. His opposition to social injustice arouses the same kind of antagonism from those who profit by it. How far these interests will go in their methods of suppressing the profits depend on their power and their needs. And again, that's a theology for the Social Gospel, page 274 through 277. I think he captures here um, the the essence of the, the Jewish tradition of the Hebrew prophet, even though I would disagree with him on, on what the, the priestly role is or, or his characterization of that. I think he nails here what it means in the Jewish tradition to, to, be a, a, to, to follow in the lineage and the ancestry or, 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 or in what comes from the ancestry of, of the Hebrew prophetic tradition. So let's take a brief look at a few of Rauschenbusch's statements here. And, and let's talk, talk about first um, this statement where he talks about history contradicting um, institutionalized religion's claims. Today, both science and history, they can both 
contradict long-held religious beliefs or doctrinal claims. And it's tempting to become defensive and resistant to, to, to new information. Instead, we have to learn how, to, how to, to lean into that new information. Deconstruction, it's naturally uncomfortable. And we have to be honest in, in, in parsing the difference between resistance due to personal discomfort and resistance that's, that's due instead to threats to, to institutions from which we derive privilege. And as Rauschenbusch states, it's, it's possible to, to be, he, in his words, opposed to free historical investigation because this tears open the protective web of idealized history and doctrine which one has woven about oneself. So, so it could be your discomfort, your resistance is not to the the is not the natural discomfort felt from any deconstruction. It's because this specific deconstruction uh, 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 attacks an institution uh, that that gives you privilege. And 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 I would ask you this week to to just stop and think about where you've seen this take place. List some examples that that come to mind and spend some time uh, um, contemplating those. And and next he talks about selfish class interests. Um, religion has often been complicit in making oppressed communities passive. Uh, it's been complicit in, 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 in exonerating or justifying one's class exploitation of others. And I agree with Rauschenbusch's statement that when voices question the status quo, they are quickly labeled as quote-unquote enemy, or, or a voice of doubt, or, or even the label of heretic is thrown around. We see an example of this in John's version of the Jesus story. This is John 7, 12. It says, among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about Jesus. Some said he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. And, and this, this idea of all humans sharing, this, all, uh, this, this uh, wanting to be inclusive, I love that idea that Rauschenbusch brings out here about the inclusivity of, of the Jewish prophets, wanting to open that privilege to, to a more egalitarian focus. Jesus, like, like other Jewish prophets before him, he also had an inclusive encounter uh, or, or representation of the divine. And his desire was egalitarian in as much as he wanted those that were being excluded uh, to also have a seat at the table. And Rauschenbusch observes, and this is again his own words, if his own caste or people claim special privileges as a divinely descended caste or chosen people, he is always for some expansion of religious rights, for a crossing of boundaries and a, a larger uh, unity. I think of those within even the Methodist Church right now, the United Methodist Church, that are pushing for more inclusivity of their, their uh, fellow LGBTQ Christians. And, and those who push for a more egalitarian society, they trans Transgress the boundaries in their work, and they're often accused of, of not staying within the lines that are drawn for them or for others in society. And another element that, that Russian Bush brings out about uh, the, this prophetic tradition is, is a social consciousness. The Hebrew prophets and Jesus and, and many others throughout history, they've stood up to institutionalized injustice, not just individual uh, injustices, but, and they are seeking change in individual hearts, but they're also seeking for social and systemic change as well. And we can often trace their, <clears throat> their social consciousness and, and the roots of 
of their passion for social justice to a belief in a, a divine universal love. As Rauschenbusch wrote, his religious experience often gives a profound quickening to his social consciousness, an unusual sense of the value of life and a strong compassion for the suffering and the weak, and therefore a keen feeling for human rights and indignation against injustice. So, so for Christians, this passion for justice, it's grounded in the belief that there's a God who, who loves everyone, and this same God stands with the oppressed and is on the, on the side of distributive justice for all. And it's it's ironic that, that those who whose belief in love led them to the work of justice, they too often, when they stand up for that justice, they are too often, they become ostracized by the very religious communities that they first learned that love uh, through. And let's talk also about this, this term heretic. Rauschenbusch's use of this term it struck home for me this week when we stand up against injustice and some of those in, in privileged positions in our faith communities are, are also in positions of privilege in our larger society, it still amazes me how efficiently religious systems can label and shut out or suppress voices, uh, voices that are standing up for justice that, that those in positions of privilege deem to be a, a threat. And, and, and he, again, Russian Bush states, this puts him in the position of a heretic, a free thinker, an enemy of religion, an atheist. Probably no prophet escaped without bearing such uh, a name. And I could give quite a few examples uh, of where I've witnessed or even experienced uh, this same dynamic. And then what do they do next? Well, let, let's talk about that suppression. Uh, Rauschenbusch goes on, his opposition to social injustice arouses the same kind of antagonism from those who profit by it. How far these interests will go in their methods of suppressing the profits depends on their power and their needs. I've seen those who, who side with love and justice go from having packed speaking schedules for years in advance in religious institutions to almost overnight being treated as if they no longer exist. In the Jesus story itself, suppression took the form of a false accusation and, and execution. And I want to be very careful here. Jesus was not trying to start a new religion. He was deeply Jewish, and most of his inclusive interpretations of the Torah most of those had Jewish precedents before him, yet his, his interpretations of the Torah, his inclusivity, his, his, his teachings on love and justice, they threatened those, the elite in his society, like they can in any society who, who had everything to lose politically. And where else do you see institutions threatened by the voice of prophets. We may not call them prophets in every institution. We live in a, a secularized world today. Yet the punishment of the prophets, it's a universal dynamic. And wherever there are people calling not only for personal piety, but also for societal change, seeking to make our world a just, a safe, a compassionate home for everyone, those who have uh, much to lose will use these same tactics. And if you're in the midst of, of being treated this way this week, remember, you're in the right story. You're not alone. Another world is possible. And if you need to take a break for self-care, then do so. It's okay to take a break. Just don't give up. 
we're in this together, and, and together we can make a difference. Remember Matthew 23, 29-31, Woe to you, teachers of the laws, Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets, decorate the, the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. And yet you testify against yourself that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Heart group application this week. Uh, we here at Renewed Heart Ministries, we have something very special for our readers and for our listeners this month. From now through April 22nd, we're going to be offering our listeners and our re readers a special premium uh, a t-shirt to support our work, to, to show others that you're a fan of this podcast, and to help spread the word so others can enjoy each episode as well. I'll put a link to them in this week's e-site. But I want to say it here too. It's at bonfire.com forward slash love dash and dash justice dash T. That's T E E. Or just go to renewedheartministries.com and you'll find the link uh, right there on our homepage. You'll find that the t shirts being uh, featured there. Um, they've been designed, I think, really nicely. Uh, I, I love the way they look. I love the way the design turned out. And you don't want to miss out on these. They're, they're only going to be available till April 22nd. It's just for a limited time. Uh, the cost on them is $24.99, and, and Bonfire will ship them to you. And this is, again, a way that you can support this podcast and, and, and support our work in making our world a safe, compassionate, just home uh, for everyone. So get your get your t-shirt now while, while, as they say, while supplies last or uh, uh, while time lasts, rather, between now and, and, and April 22nd. We'll print as many as are ordered and we'll mail those out the first part of May. But thanks for checking in with us this week. I'm so glad you did. Wherever you are today, choose love, choose compassion, take action action, and, and seek justice. Another world is possible. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.